Welcome to the Business Bookshelf podcast, where I interview business authors and talk about their newly released books. Today, I interview Patrick Burke about his book, The 10 Biggest Business Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Patrick is the managing partner of Burke & Schindler, a firm he founded in 1984. Burke is a respected expert in business acquisitions and sales, deal structuring, value building, and succession planning. Patrick is the author of The 10 Biggest Business Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. That's what we speak to Patrick about today. Although experience is the best teacher, it's also the most costly. Learning business lessons the hard way through your own mistakes often results in significant downturns or even failure. Business success doesn't require a fabulous new product or service, although it doesn't hurt, but does require avoiding the big mistakes. He made most of these big mistakes himself and barely lived to tell about them. So please, Patrick says, do as I say and not as I did. So sit back, relax, wherever you are, and enjoy the interview. It's great to be here. Thanks, Lance. And Patrick, where do I find you today? Today I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I've been for 65 years. <laughs> Wonderful. I've in, I was just saying to my wife that I've interviewed two or three people from Cincinnati, so it seems to be a place where people write business books. <laughs> well, there, I tell you what, a lot of people grow up here, stay here. There's a lot of, you know, while we have some, we have some, uh, you know, Fortune 50 companies, you know, Procter and Gamble and Kroger. Uh, we have a lot of small businesses, and it's a great place to uh, advise them because they tend to stay in the family, and you know if it, if they're grown properly, you know become legacy businesses, which I think is the goal for many people. Although it it's not as achi- not achieved as often probably as it should be. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Um, so Patrick, could you just tell our listeners a bit about yourself, about your career, uh, and what's led to you know writing the book? Well, I, I started off educationally confused. I, I went to law school first and then got a job at a CPA firm uh, doing tax work. And uh, so I had to go back and become a CPA, which was kind of backward. Um, interestingly enough, I almost got out of the, the uh, accounting business. Um, and I had a, my older brother who was my mentor and who is the pattern for the mentor in my book. Um, I told him he was a partner at a large law firm. I said, I think I want to work there with you. And he informed me that um, I won't use the same colorful language that he did, but he said, you're really kind of a shoddy employee and you should go on your own. So that was, I was uh, <laughs> 28 years old and off I went. So yeah. with, um, it was great because it, it's been a great career and it kind of thrust me into the position of having to be an advisor right out of the chute. And of course, back in the early days, it was small companies and with small problems. And it's funny, many of them are still clients of mine, although they're no longer small companies. Actually, uh, they're now getting to the point where a number of them have been uh, either trans, uh, transferred to the next generation or in some instances sold. There's a lot of private equity activity and the ones that have gotten big enough to attract that kind of, uh, of, of a buyer, you know, have gone that route. But the, the multiples are good. And then the, the, uh, the um, you're sailing off into the sunset in, in a sizable boat. So I think that's, so I, 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 well I tell people, I, uh, 
I'm a financial agriculturalist. You know, I help people grow businesses and that's what I consider my calling. I mean, I, I started off as a tax person, but as I've moved through my career, more and more, I could see the need for people to um, try to avoid the big mistakes. And, you know, why not, why not get into the slipstream of somebody who's already made the mistake and do, do what, do what they say as, a, as opposed to what they did, which is sort of the gist of the book, right? Avoid the big mistake. Yeah. And that is exactly the book that we're talking about. So congratulations on your book, The 10 Biggest Business Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. And, and so, Patrick, I really, really enjoyed your book. Can we start at the beginning? Um, and you, you tell a story about how you were going to you know, buy a company called Trashinator uh, and then were convinced not to. So, Maybe could you give us some advice right at the beginning? How do you choose a company to to invest in, to start that's right for you? How do you go about that process? It's a great question. And of course, it's the threshold question, right? And so often it's it's just not even thought about. It's like, oh well, gee, I really like restaurants, or I you know, it's like, well, yeah, everybody likes restaurants, everybody <laughs> likes theme parks, but don't go buy one, right? I yeah. mean, it's just not it's not a good idea. In general, what I tell people is, you know. If you, you must be the best player at the key position, or if that's not within your realm, you have to be the second best player at the other positions within the company. So mm-hmm. although I way prefer to be the best player at the key position, and you know, I always look at business as a three-legged stool. So there's, there's sales, there's production, and there's administration, right? So administration, you can kind of outsource. Sales and production are the keys to most businesses. Now, the only caveat there I would say is if you're really good at following directions, sometimes franchises are, are really the way to go. Mm-hmm. Um, but in general, I would say sales and production is what you need. So if you're really good at one of, aspect of that, then that's really what you need. And too often people are drawn to businesses that are attractive because they like the margins or they like who the clientele is. And you know, try to find something where you've already got a little bit of a tailwind. Further, if you know something about it, you kind of understand the market better. You might know the players in the industry better. So you're not starting from zero. And I think it's very hard to start at zero and, and be competitive in something. So mm-hmm. that's my, that's my uh, threshold advice. <clears throat> and it's amazing how often <laughs> that conversation there stops the rest of the conversation. So it's... Uh, <laughs> Um, anyway, that's, I, it, it's an often violated rule and I've violated it myself a couple of different times. So I know <laughs> what I'm talking about. I, I was, I was talking to my wife uh, and again, uh, as I do, and I, I, you know, I started a business last year that didn't really work out. And I blame COVID, of course, it's not me. It's nothing to do <laughs> yeah. with me. And, right. and since then I've interviewed business authors about starting a business like yourself and reigning a business and growing a business. And so I think next time I'll definitely, um, you know, do it better. But one of the things I did was I transitioned from a company and started from scratch in another one. And that's kind of what you were talking about there is that like it was really difficult to get going from a zero base. Oh, it is. I mean, it's it's so helpful to to know the players and know the market and know the products. And um, it's just, you know, I'm not saying it can't be done. People have done it, but, you know, why not try to find a path of, of less resistance than that, right? Yes. There's no reason why it should be, you know, you should, 
if it's your first time playing golf, let's not play Pebble Beach. You know, let's go to the local par three and, and <laughs> let's make sure we, you know, don't lose more than a dozen balls, right? Absolutely. Um, and then you talk about sustainable advantage, which is really very, very important when starting your business. And I wanted to know, how do you find that sustainable advantage? So you think you're going to start a business. How do you know whether that sustainable advantage is there and is going to maintain for like the short to medium to long term? Well, I, it's a great question. And I think that's a, um, in, once again, understanding the market. So I had a meeting uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago with a young man who is a, in the construction business. And he mostly does, um, goes into a home and puts an addition on or puts in a new kitchen, puts in a, a new bathroom. And he said, hey, I'm looking at this situation. The time for cabinets for a kitchen that you're waiting is often up to 20 weeks, which is, you know, that's for the average person. Yeah. They're not planning 20 weeks in advance on getting their kitchen done. You know? yeah. So he has found uh, a way to do this. He's found the machines it takes. And you can actually, with a half million dollar investment, he can have machines that he could produce five kitchens a day. So uh. he knows that's an advantage over, over the people in, in this area that are doing that, that are waiting 20 weeks for that. He knows he's an engineer by training. So he understands he could, he could make these machines work. He wouldn't necessarily have to be the person working. And once he got them up and running, so, so that, that's a, a, a niche within the market that he thinks is for real. And I think that, so that makes sense. So that's mm. an advantage. Now, is it sustainable? And by sustainable, you know, who knows? I mean, the technology could change 10 years from now. And, mm. But for, for today, the, the advantage is there. The sustainability is really more about processes. So how do you... If he has to make every kitchen and install every kitchen, it's all depending upon his know-how, then it's really not sustainable because it's, it's, it's tied up with his knowledge. So sustainability, you know, we always talk about people, process, and metrics. So you have to create processes around what you do so it's not dependent upon you to make everything happen. Because that, then it's really not, even though the business includes other people, you know, if you get subtracted from the formula, <laughs> then it doesn't work anymore. So that's, that's hard, but that is, yeah. that's the, the key element of sustainability. And, and I was going to ask you about that because, you know, so he's got the advantage and I hope it really works out well for him that he, he's got the, you know, the, the business advantage there, but it's also moving into something that he's skilled at, but then you can, hopefully he can also work on his business and change it over time. So that he's got this head start, he's got this um, advantage over other people, but then he, he can hopefully, like, just like you said, get other people to do the production work and he can focus on maybe strategy or long-term planning or something like that as well. That's right. It, absolutely. It, it, you don't want to be the chief cook and bottle washer, right? You have to have some people behind you and in front of you that are making this happen for you. So it's, you know, who knows? It didn't seem like a, it seems like a, uh, uh, a good business. And I've got a, a couple of clients who are in the uh, providing materials to construction. And that's a great business to be in now because people are building like crazy. So uh, make hay while the sun shines, right? Brilliant. Now, my business last year was a, as a solopreneur, you know, these one of these new businesses that one person operates. But I, right. I think it's so much nicer to do it as a partnership or in a group of people. And I would have if I could. 
And you talk about that in your book about partnering and you actually write in your book, this is a quote, a business owner should bring someone in as a partner only if that person possesses a skill that is absolutely critical to the success of the business and that skill cannot be acquired for money alone. And you give a great example in your book. Can you talk to us a little bit about that, about how to, you can choose a partner for your business? Yeah, I, I, I would have to say I have presided over far too many business divorces. It's just I've seen it too often and it's, you know, most of the time I would say they don't work. And they probably don't work because uh, generally the person who starts the business is um, highly engaged uh, and, you know, very skilled at, at um, understanding what's next, understanding what's around the next turn. And they, they possess a, a, a sort of a prescience about that, but they need something, you know. So I had a client that was, had a really great idea uh, associated with, with a certain uh, mechanical aspect of power plants, and he needed a machinist. And he brought the person in and decided to make that person a partner. Well, you know, he wasn't an entrepreneur. He didn't understand risk. And he ended up, in the end, it didn't, he had to buy him out. And it was costly to get him out. And he could have just hired a machinist way back when and just said, hey, I'm going to pay you X, maybe a little premium because this is a uh, startup company and, you know, you're leaving a big multinational company. Yeah. But to bring that person on as a partner becomes uh, a problem, not only because the skill could have been purchased, but usually they, they have a different risk profile. And um, so they end up sort of being a... Uh, uh, a safe you have to drag through the sand because they don't want to they don't want to move forward with it and uh, so it, it's weird because it's it's uh, most entrepreneurs if you kind of looked at their personality types I would say are kind of lone wolves if you will but then when it comes to starting a business they suddenly want to hunt in a pack and it's like whoa 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 before you do that let's think about I mean I always say, if, if you don't think that the, that the ownership and equity in your business is going to be your most valuable asset someday, then you really shouldn't start the business. You know, so, you know, those, um, as my dad used to say when he talked about somebody who was uh, particularly thrifty, he said uh, he threw a nickels around like sewer lids. And that's what you should, <laughs> you should throw your equity around like sewer lids. It's, they're hard to pick up and hard to move. So be very, very careful about it. I actually wrote a whole book on it called There Is No Us in Business. Of course, there is an us in business when you look at the spelling, but you got to be very careful about. And there are instances where you have to do it uh, and, and maybe you have to bring on a financial partner. But it's it's been my experience that you usually do not need to do that. Ah, that's fantastic. And I'll, I'll, have, I'll look at that book and have the links in the show notes as well. But, so I was going to ask you that, but you've just answered it for me, really, that if you, if you do bring a business partner on, does it matter what percentage of the equity that person gets? Um, do you, should you try and maintain the, sort of you know, 60, 70% or does, will it only work really if you both have equal share in it? No, I, no I'm, I'm a big believer in, I mean, it's very hard to determine, you know, who's going to provide what value yeah. and I, I think I, I look at two things. Number one, you know, if somebody's going to add, you know, uh, their car to the train, you know, uh, so they're now going to be part of the, the train, the train's already moving. So there's some value to the fact that it's already in, you're in business. Let's say you're making money. You've created some sort of advantage. Maybe it's not as sustainable as you'd like. 
So there's some value associated with that. So you have to sort of give yourself sort of the owner's premium right out of the chute, in my estimation. And then you're, you have to go from there is what's going to be the relative value of what each person brings to the table there. And it's, it's really interesting, Lance. If the business is just doing okay, really nobody has a problem. You know, it's like, yeah, you know, in, what I mean by okay <laughs> is each yeah. person is making probably what they would make doing the same service for another company. So they're really, they've got a job at their own company. So that's better than working for ABC Inc. But, you know, it's, it's not really producing profits over and above that. Where I see the problem in general is, A, when you're making way more money than you thought, or B, when it comes, when the, when the, uh, the, the uh, business gets tough, and now you, you, know, you got to decide, well, whose fault was that? How are we going to put more money in? How are we going to make this thing work? And, I mean, I've been lucky enough to have a lot of successful businesses that happen to be partnerships, and many of them, I mean, the, the, the fight becomes, hey, I'm, if I'm 50-50, but I'm looking at who brings in what and who's been the more valuable yeah. person, I'm way more valuable than that. Now what do I do? So, You're playing too much general, golf. Pardon me? The other person's playing too much golf it, it, and it, going away exactly. on too many holidays. And <laughs> it's, but you know how it is. Uh, uh, success has a thousand fathers, so it's very difficult to sit that person down after the fact and say, hey, I'm going to take your ec- equity from 50-50 down to 60-40. I mean, hey, tough conversations have to happen, and they happen all the time, but it's most people don't like that. I mean, it's a confrontation. Yeah, so that's... Uh, definitely. Um, the next thing in your book, or not the next thing, but another thing that I really enjoyed was dreaming and thinking big, which I, I agree with. And can you give us some importance of this? How big should you actually dream when you're starting your business? Should you have a big, <laughs> big vision? Well, it, I think most businesses sort of have a natural ceiling on them, right? So you're, you know, if you're providing this service in this location to this market, it's going to be of this size. So, you know, um, so, you know, uh, I have a uh, accounting firm here. I do, I, we also do money management and it, it's, you know, it, you're, I mean, I know there's, you know, there's 25 CPA firms in this town and there's, you know, X number of, uh, of, uh, uh, of, of clients. I mean, so there's, you're going to be only so big until you move into a different territory. You know, you, mm. you've got a market a niche and you're trying to, you know, I try to be I mean, mostly profitable businesses, mostly first generation businesses. A lot of them are service oriented. So, I mean, there's a lot of those in Cincinnati and there's a lot of those everywhere, but you know, it, it would be hard for me to be, a, you know, a, a you know, a 200 person firm serving that market in this city. So I think most, most businesses that are, are sort of one foot in front of the other. Um, on the other hand, like I've got a client that does consulting for hospitals and, you know, they have a remote workforce and um, they do business in all 50 States and, you know, they perform a, a couple of different consultative functions within what they call revenue cycle management. And that business, you know, is can grow exponentially because there's, I mean, while there is a limited number of hospitals, there's also a limited number of people providing this service. So it's, it, you can sort of see where the, the size of the market and where you fit in the market. And it's like, this would be, um, you know, a, which this will be a successful business. And if you want to grow, 
you know, you're going to have to add a product, add a service, or add a location. And that's, I think that's fair to do that. And, I, and, and that becomes, you know, at that point, it's not as risky probably because you know how to do this and you know how to get, how to find the clients and you know how to provide the services. So that's way better than starting from scratch in something else like the, uh, like the trashinator, right? So that's, you want to avoid uh, plowing new ground if you, if you can. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so Patrick, and just to remind everyone that we're speaking to Patrick Burke uh, about his book and the, the book is titled the 10 biggest business mistakes and how to avoid them. And Patrick, something that I loved about your book um, is the, the, the way that it crops up, the, the mentors crop up in your book the whole time, almost every chapter. And I, I was wanting to ask you about that. How is it important to find people who can do this, can speak into your business, speak into your business decisions, give advice? Um, and, you know, how did you get, find these people? Because they seem to be your next door neighbors and friends and advisors. <laughs> How did you find these people and bring them into your life? Well, it, um, is it, uh, my older brother, my, my, my father died when I was very young, 14 years old. And my older brother was uh, 13 years older than me. And he's a very successful business guy. He's, uh, um, unfortunately, he died young, but, he was, but we talked every day. And he, he uh, advised businesses. He was a business lawyer and uh, very, very helpful. And in a the idea, the big mistake was really something that he came up with, avoid the big mistake. And I there's so many things that I didn't do that I would have done had he not said, you know, don't do it. I mean, like the partnership thing. I mean, early on, I had some people that wanted to come in with me and, and he was the one that said, you know, you don't even know what you have yet. Why would you ever start giving away chunks of it when you don't know what it is? You know, so be very, very careful about it, which was great advice. Um, and it, And I think it's, it's, I'm at the point now in, in my career because, you know, I, I think I give my advice is more frank today than it used to be. I mean, not that I, uh, been there and done that on, on every level, but I've been there and done that, you know, having advised 250 startups and we've got hundreds of corporate clients here. And not that I know everything about every one of them, but the ones I'm involved with, you know, I can see patterns and I don't, uh, I don't feel bad about giving people tough advice. And, um, you know, further, I think it's, it's helpful to have a, a sounding board who you're not paying, you know, somebody who doesn't have a conflict of interest. Um, while people are paying me, I, I, I hope, I think I'm, I'm uh, uh, honest enough with them that even if they don't like the advice, I'm going to give it, even if it means I'm risking the relationship. And I'll, I'll tell them that, you know, hey, look, what I'm going to say to you next, I don't want I don't want you to get upset with me, but I would be doing you a disservice if I wasn't being, you know, absolutely honest with you. And sometimes, to be honest, Lance, they don't want to hear it, you know, and I've lost business because of that. I'll be honest. That's a, uh, it's a risk, but I'm not going to sugarcoat things and tell somebody it's A-OK when it's not. Um, so, hey, it, it's important. And, and I've, I've still got a number of people in my life who, who, um, who I don't pay, their friends or relatives that you know will give me blunt advice um sometimes hard to hear but it's yeah you know since they don't have any they don't have any there's no reason for them to be anything but honest and i think that's why it's critical to find a a good advisor um i think like myself to help you with 
make those tough decisions. And B, it's helpful to have somebody generally older than you that's been around the block and done either done what you want to do. You know, somebody who's been there, done that, you know, already has the T-shirt and knows what the next thing is going to be. Very, very helpful. Yeah. And that's, that's the, that, you're right. That's the, the advice that you've appreciated in your book, the, the honest, um, straight, straightforward advice. Um, Patrick, maybe could you share a couple of stories about how you know, companies that you've been involved with have grown, been successful? Um, what, what stand out for you during your career that you've been a part of? Well, I've, I've got um, uh, one comes to mind immediately, and it was a, a client of mine who, uh, interestingly enough, he was a janitor during college, and uh, that's how he earned his spending money, and very hardworking guy, very earnest guy. And when he graduated, the owner of the company said, would you want to come in here and help run this business? And the, the business was primarily they had, they had morphed into a business that, that strictly serviced large shopping malls, cleaning shopping malls. And um, so he did that for several years, was very good at finding people, finding business. And so he could, he'd done it all. So he'd push the broom and he'd sold to some of the biggest uh, mall owners in the, in the country. And he got, he was promised equity in the company and he, it didn't happen. And so he decided to start his own and uh, his own business. And of course he got sued by his, by the uh, uh, owner of the, of his, uh, the company he left and for violating his non-compete. So that went on for several months and he finally bought his way out of that, but it was a little tiny business. You know, it was probably, he did four malls in four different States and, maybe the business was doing 2 million bucks and uh, bit by bit, he grew that and grew it. So he was, you know, it, it grown into a hundred million dollar business, wow. adding more and more malls. And then he bought a company that provided security for malls and uh, bought another company that provides uh, uh, services to business improvement districts, which is, you know, um, groups of real estate owners and a retail area will, will throw money into a, a kitty with their property taxes and buy additional services to, you know, uh, keep the area cleaner, keep the area more secure. So, you know, uh, today it's a, it's over a half a billion dollar business. And, uh, you know, it all started with him pushing a broom during, during college. So sure, uh, that's an amazing but pushed, story, but he pushed it really well. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Patrick. You're welcome. Um, I just want to ask you the American economy at the moment, you know, coming out of COVID, how is it looking there? Is, uh, are people starting businesses still? Uh, is the economy on the app? You know, is things looking like they're coming back to normal? How are things looking there? Yeah, for the most part, they, they are. I mean, we were lucky in that in Ohio, uh, accounting is considered an essential business. So we really never shut down. Mm-hmm. Some of our people who were concerned, more concerned about COVID worked remotely and we wore masks for a long time and all that sort of thing. Um, I mean, that economy is great. I mean, the, the uh, people are, are starting new businesses. Um, I mean, I would say we have a number of uh, restaurant clients from Wendy's to fine dining, and they're all coming back. There was a lot of help for them through the uh, payroll protection plan loans. And there were a lot of Ohio-based loans to help out the fine dining places. And they were able, all of our clients remained open. So, and, and they weren't thriving, but now everybody's coming back. So, it, I mean, you can't, 
if you were to walk in the, at downtown Cincinnati on a Saturday night and try to walk into a restaurant, they would just laugh at you. It would be like, you know, uh-huh. two hour wait. So sure. it's, um, and it, it, it's, so, um, my office is right here overlooking the Ohio river. And, you know, one of the, one of the gauges I use is the barge traffic on the Ohio, which is, you know, uh, I never, I'll have to have somebody explain to me, but there's coal going both ways on it. So I guess a certain kind of coal goes South and a certain kind of <laughs> coal goes North, but there, uh, the barge traffic is unbelievable. So, um, you know, I would say that's two times what it was during COVID. So it's, wow obviously a, a anecdotal uh, uh, indicator, but yeah. And I guess the other part of it is people were very careful with their money uh, during COVID and mm. the, uh, our clients balance sheets are super strong. Uh, a number of them got PPP loans that they needed to pay the peop- to pay their employees, but they really didn't lose money. So they didn't, they didn't use the PP funds to fund the loss it just kept the doors open. So a lot of that money they still have, and a lot of them are using it to expand, buy new equipment, open new locations. So, you know, don't get in the way of a, of an American entrepreneur because they'll run you down. Um, Patrick, your, your company is called Birken Schindler. Hey, yes. And, and I'll give, I'll have the link in the show notes. It's uh, BirkCPA.com. Um, so B-U-R-K-E-C-P-A.com. Uh, and, and sometimes people for, listen to the podcast and want to, you know, look at the author and what they do and what their businesses do. So what does Birkin Schindler do? Well, uh, I guess we, we are a typical CPA firm here in the U.S. where we do taxes and we do audits. And, and uh, but we also do a lot of consulting with, with businesses to improve their processes. We also do, um, we help them with their human resource issues. We have a parallel company that actually does recruiting for for the companies, particularly in the um, executive suite type positions and with sales positions. Um, and then, as you know, I guess about ten years ago, we also got into the to the money management business uh, through a, a sister company called Concentric Wealth Management. And we found that that really my experience with entrepreneurs is they they're very um, interested in reinvesting in their own business, but they haven't been very careful about how they've invested the profits in their business. And they either have just completely uh, sort of uh, avoided the whole topic and just kept the money in a, in a CD, or they're extremely risky risk takers and they run around and, and they're buying options and doing things and selling things they shouldn't be doing. So um it's been interesting. It's, it, we've done very well with that, primarily sort of teaching the entrepreneur, you know, how to make money with money, not just with their own efforts. So that's been a in, very interesting uh, new business line for us that uh, has been very helpful. Fantastic. And, and I see if people go to BurkeCPA.com, B-U-R-K-E-C-P-A.com, they can also see the other books that you've written. So it's not just the other, there's not just there's no us in business and the one we're talking about today, but there's also Accelerate and Exit Velocity that they can go and have a look there and yeah. see the other books that you've written. So Exit Velocity is actually the precursor to this book. So that was ah. a story about uh, about the a person deciding on on a business to buy and, and how to buy it. So that was uh, uh, that was my first, and that's a business fable. So that was, you know, 
not easy for an accountant to create fiction, but I was I, <laughs> actually, I drew from enough facts that it's really not that fiction oriented, to be honest with you. <laughs> well, Patrick, I know you're incredibly busy and you're just about to go on holiday. So thank you so much for joining me. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you very, very much. Oh, you're welcome, Lance. It was a pleasure. Thank and, you for and, the opportunity. And thank you again for your great book, The 10 Biggest Business Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'll have the links to the show notes. Obviously, you can go to Amazon. Um, buy the book. It's really, really worthwhile buying. So thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Lance. And, and I hope you, the listener, found this as interesting and useful as I did. If you'd like to contact me, then please do. My email is lance at ideastorm.ca.za and the website is businessbookshelfpodcast.com. So until next time, goodbye. Thank you, everyone. Bye. See you next week. Thank you, Lance.